welcome back to yet another week of Behind the Lens. I am Debbie Linelias, film critic. You can find me online, moviesharkdeblore.com, examiner, in print, uh, across, uh, across the globe, overseas. Here in Los Angeles, you can find me in Culver City Observer, well, at least for a little while, um, Santa Monica Observer, British Weekly. Um, anytime we've got uh, the Brits being interviewed or film content, you can find me in British Weekly as well. And then, of course, every Monday at 11 o'clock Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, you can find me right here on Adrenaline Radio and AdviceRadio.com. We do have a sister station uh, with Behind the Lens. So th- today is a big day. I know all of my all of my TCM peeps out there, all the classic movie fans, we are all celebrating because today is the official National Classic Movie Day. And I'm very excited because Brian, my lovely, my lovely sound engineer, Brian, likes and appreciates classic films. And he's nodding up and down, and he's very excited about that fact. And he's also working away diligently because I know he's, he's looking for, for his weekly special for you. Are you not? I have it ready if you're... You have it, re- you have it ready? Yeah. I, I... Well, well, but first, I want to ask you, because this is National Classic Movie Day, and I just gave you Jeremy Arnold's book last week. Yes, yeah. The, he was on TCM last night, as a matter of fact, doing the essentials with Ben. Yeah. So last night, we... Uh, huge. We actually... Trend, TCM Party trended on Twitter last night for the showing of Footlight Parade. 1933, Busby Berkeley, Jimmy Cagney, and it has one of the most spectacular, if not the most spectacular musical sequences in film history uh, that Berkeley choreographed uh, and shot, which is to a song called By a Waterfall, and it is stunning. Actually, absolutely stunning. So anybody gets a chance to see Footlight Parade, uh, especially today for National Classic Movie Day, see it. So what classic movies are some of your favorites, Brian? You know, we had this conversation, I think, off air and even brought it up on, on air briefly. But classic films for me mm-hmm. would be films from the 60s and the 70s, given that I'm 24 years old. So if I was to go back to that time era, I mean, A Clockwork Orange still stands out to me as one of my mm-hmm. favorite films as well as classic films. Taxi Driver, Psycho, really love Singing in the Rain. Well, see, Singing in the Rain, you're going back to the Arthur Freed days at MGM. That is classic personified. I like uh, Ben-Hur, the 1932 film. I think it's 1932 or 1928. The one with Charlton Heston? Okay, that that one's later. But there was an earlier earlier one. You are correct. Yeah, so yeah, I I like the... The, the, but I like the one before Charles Heston. Also. Okay. So yeah. So um, and of course, since you like Ben Hur, I guess you're you're looking forward to the new one in August from Teamer. Well, yeah, I'll watch it. But I'm, I'm looking. For, I, I, remakes are a little weird. It me. is Teamer, though. Yeah, I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go see it. I'm gonna I, I'm a sucker for remakes. I'll go watch them. But I think my my favorite classic film though it would have to be The Kid. Really? Yeah. That that film just just stands out. The, was, the Charlie Chaplin, The mm-hmm, Kid. Charlie Chaplin. I love that movie. Wow. So that would be my classic. I mean, I guess my favorite film. That is a surprise, but that is that is a lovely surprise, Brian. Yeah. Good taste. But let me jump into Star Wars real quick. Oh, uh, we d- yes, we must. We must. Before yes. I, I uh, derail the, the show anymore, we have 577 days, 12 hours, 55 minutes, and after the sentence is over, 25 <laughs> seconds to go until Star Wars Episode Eight opens up in theaters. But Rogue One is 
a lot closer than that. We're 213 days, 12 hours, and 55 minutes to go for Rogue One, which they keep dropping the trailer every time I go watch a movie in theaters, mm-hmm. and it looks incredible on the sc- on screen. And I love that they're going back to a pre uh Death Star era. Okay, pre- so pre New Hope. Yeah, I can't wait for that. I can't wait to watch that that nostalgic feel back on the theater like that. So, as much as you go to Disneyland, have you seen any inklings and and is anything being shown there in terms of trailers at some of the shows that you go see there? They uh, for for uh, May May fourth, they were playing the trailer throughout the park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially in Tomorrowland, they were playing the Rogue One trailers on. They had these screens set up where they were playing them. But they're pushing right now Alice in Wonderland. Which? Which is pretty cool. I don't know if you saw, they, they dressed up Giant Depp as a Mad Hatter. Yes, I did see they that. They had him out there. I was there that day, but I did not notice the stand. But that, So they are pushing Mad Hatter. But yeah, if you go into Tomorrowland, they definitely do have some Rogue One stuff already being propped up. But it's not really anything that we haven't seen in terms of trailers in the theaters. No, nothing exclusive just yet. Okay. Hopefully, maybe something will drop a little bit closer to the, to, the, to the screening. And since you go every week, I know you'll know. Yes. Oh yeah, I will. I'll let you know if something drops. Yeah, and when if I get anything like a pen or something, you know it's good. It's, it's going for the behind the lens. Aww. to our collection here because when you watch when everybody watches this week's video, Brian actually complimented me on today's set dressing. It's very, it's very classic movie. Definitely, there's VHSs out there. Yes, and they're the original VHS issues. They're not even reissues. These are the original VHS issues when they came out. Some of them are still in their clear plastic wrapping. Yes. But there's a lot of them on there. I, I haven't seen any of those films, actually. Oh, my God. Well, we have the heiress, Olivia de Havilland, who turns 100 in July. We've got Long Day's Journey in Tonight, Spell, Hitchcock, Spellbound, and Rebecca. And, of course, Gone with the Wind. You know, I just grab things from the shelf and, and bring them. And then... A lot of our classic movie books, including Rita Moreno's new autobiography that she autographed for me at the fest, and Ileana Douglas's, and of course, Jeremy Arnold's The 52 Essential Films. Which is a great book. Beautiful photos in there, and uh, descriptions of why you should watch this film, Mm -hmm. too. Great book. Pick it up if you get a chance to. Oh, yeah. And people can get that on if you go online to the TCM shop. Just go to TCM.com and go to TCM shop, and you can find that along with a lot of classic movies, because it is National Classic Movie Day. And in keeping with National Classic Movie Day, before the TCM Film Festival, we had a, a small press conference, and I had a chance to ask the, the guru of TCM programming, Charlie Tabish, anybody associated with TCM, any festival goer, anybody who watches TCM, we all know and love Charlie and what he does uh, in terms of programming, especially with the film festival. So I had a chance to ask him because he's the man who kind of spearheads coming up with themes and then having to program within those themes. And since it is classic movie day, some of these things for those that want to have their own classic movie parties at home, there might be some helpful hints in here of what Charlie had to say, uh, talking about creating a theme for a film, a classic film festival and finding those films. Well, first of all, it's so great to see all of you here again, even you, Ben. <laughs> I see Ben more than any of you. One of the great things about this year's show, this year's festival is the theme of moving pictures and the great metaphor and, and double meaning that we have with the play. 
what went into developing the theme for this year and then narrowing down the films that you could hone into the into that descriptive category charlie uh, well um every year a couple months after the prior festival we we all get together and we kind of have a meeting and talk about what we want the next year's theme to be and usually i uh, have a list of ideas in mind and uh, sometimes somebody else will come up with other ideas and we'll sit there and we'll talk about it and um, and just try to see what what might make sense, what might uh, be interesting to explore. Um, and this is one that I, I was I was especially excited about partly because I'm I might have an emotional connection to movies like a lot of people. Like I enjoy going to a movie to cry. Um, and it also allowed to get into certain subcategories that are difficult to fit into maybe broader themes like religious films or sports films where you couldn't do the entire festival devoted to religious films and you couldn't do it devoted to sports films but within the broader category of kind of emotionally moving pictures and films they, they qualify, they fit nicely um, so that that partially answers your, your question about narrowing it down because then there's sort of a uh, it leads you to different subcategories of films to explore doesn't limit you. You can still do films that maybe aren't in one of the subcategories, but you know, it lets you go into um, things like animal films where you know people can cry because old Yellowbird or Bambi. Um, and uh, so, well, uh, that no, yeah, I was gonna say no spoiler. <laughs> no, no, but it's, uh, so, <laughs> um, so the narrowing down is uh, right. Um, is involved in that and of course some films don't fit the theme they're just part of it because you still want a variety of, of, of options for people so I hope so, picking a festival theme and then picking films and it's something that Charlie does so well every single year um, and can't wait to see what he comes up with for us next year but you know, just to give you a little bit uh, of insight of what else is coming up today on Behind the Lens, joining us in a few minutes is a wonderful new actress that most of you are seeing for the first time, Stephanie Charmy. Uh, she is co-starring in the film Mothers and Daughters, which is which opened on Mother's Day. It is still in theaters. It is available on VOD. Yes, even Time Warner has it. It always shocks me when Time Warner has certain things. Um, she co-stars, it's directed by Paul Dudridge. She co-stars with Susan Sarandon, Selma Blair, Sharon Stone, Courtney Cox, Mira Servino, just to name a few. So uh, Stephanie will be calling in shortly and to, we'll find out from her, her journey as an actress and how she ended up with this coveted role with these talented ladies. But I think right now we'll take a commercial break and we'll be right back. And welcome back to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic to 150 outlets near and far. Uh, and every Monday you can find me here live on Behind the Lens on Adrenaline Radio, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And also, if you miss us live, don't worry about it because you can find us on iTunes tomorrow. You can find us he here archived on Adrenaline sometime later tonight, as well as on my website, MovieSharkDeBlore.com. And other places. So, take a listen. If you like us, tell your friends. If you don't, I don't want to know about it. 
But right now, somebody you do all want to know about is the lovely Stephanie Shammy. Hi, Stephanie. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am fine. Thank you so much for calling in today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Oh, this is this is a real treat. And you gotta you gotta applaud your publicist there for this because <laughs> <laughs> Sylvia and Tiffany reached out to me the other day and said, Oh, you know, Stephanie's in this movie, would you be interested in doing in, you know, doing a feature on her or something? I said, Hey, does she wanna come on the show? And they're like, Really? Of course. So, oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Because <laughs> I have to say, I've now seen Mothers and Daughters twice. Oh, really? Thank you. And this is quite a coup for you as an actress, Stephanie. Uh, yeah, absolutely. To land this role of Trisha in with... Now, even though you don't have scenes with Susan Sarandon or Sharon Stone or Selma Blair or Courtney Cox or Mira Servino, you're in the same movie and you, your role is a very substantive role and it's a catalyst for an, another relationship within the film structure. Now, yeah. before we get into Mothers and Daughters, your backstory on how you became an actress is so interesting. And I really think that a lot of our listeners who are actors, directors, filmmakers of various of various sorts would be really interested because we're very lucky to even have you in Mothers and Daughters, aren't we? Oh, yeah, I'd say. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've been acting on and off um, since I was little. I did some, like, commercials and stuff when I was little. I kind of fell out of it. You know, I wanted to play with my dolls, I guess, instead. Um and so when I, you know, when I turned 15, I started going to um, this acting studio, and I, I was kind of intimidated. I was, um, you know, I wasn't that confident in my ability um, to act, I guess, because we did this, you know, this drill, I guess, that the coach had us do there, and she kind of, um, she kind of, like, told, like, I, I did this drill, I guess, and I had to basically say that, you know, I am. It's like this whole thing, this emotional roller coaster you go through in like five minutes. And I basically had to tell everyone in the audience that I am, like I am, you know, whatever I am. And um, when I did that, the coach looked at me and she basically said, no, you're not, because you're looking for my approval. So that kind of like shattered me a little bit. And I went home and I was like, no, I don't want to be an actress anymore. I don't, I don't know about this. Um, but then it was kind of like fate, and I, I met someone um, in the industry that was an actor named Billy Hussey, and he, um, we met on the plane and going actually, to Las Vegas. Actually, for people that of my generation, we all know who Billy Hussey is from fame. Okay. A, a, okay, lot, yeah. a, lot, of younger, a lot of younger people today may not know who Billy is, and... He was he was the heartthrob that everybody watched. That's why you watched Fame in my day was to see Billy Huffsey. Yeah, it's that right. sim- it's that simple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I heard he was like a, a hot young thing. He was like a little Justin Bieber or something. Oh, he was beyond that, and he had great hair and great muscles. <laughs> and yes, yes, and you actually got to meet him on the plane. Oh yeah, it was so so weird he has a studio in vegas and i had just graduated high school and 
I was heading over there with some friends and he just happened to be sitting by me and I didn't know, you know, I didn't, I didn't know who he was. Um, and, and, uh, my friend just popped over the seat and was like, Hey, this guy's a manager and he's an acting coach. And I was like, Oh, really? Gave me his card. He said, come to my studio when I get back to LA. And I did. And sure enough, you know, all the kids that he, it was like a private studio, all the kids that um, I was I was learning with are now in TV shows. They're reoccurring. One of them was in, um, she played the daughter in Anger Management with Charlie Sheen. She mm-hmm. played Charlie Sheen's daughter. Um, you know, the other kid was just in that new MTV show Scream. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so he kind of put me back on that track. It was literally like fate. And then I went back to that studio that I went to a couple years ago and we did the same exact, <laughs> drill the same exact um you know coaching session where i had to get it up in front of everybody and say i am and you know when i did it that night the coach looked at me and she smiled and she said yes you are because i finally you know i believed in myself and i and i didn't really need anyone else's approval at that point you know i i did the work and i kind of i i grew i guess so i luckily luckily you know i did meet billy on the plane because it kind of pushed me back towards this direction mm-hmm. now how hard was it for you to start you know reincarnated as an actress so to speak how difficult was it for you to start putting yourself out there and going on casting calls and after you thought you had put left something behind um, it was it was hard, but you know it's all about. I feel like in this industry, everyone's always going to knock you down, no matter what. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, you're Sharon Stone or you're me. You know, people are always going to knock you down. Critics, people, family, friends, like what? They're always going to say something. And I think it's just all about believing in yourself and kind of like. For me, it was just I. I just believed in myself so much that I that I just kind of pushed that out of my head. Mm-hmm. And I just went for it. You know, I was like, I could either let this keep, you know, keep battling with this or I could go after what I, what I know I can do. Mm-hmm. What is it about acting that drives you? What is the gift that it gives to you that keeps you going? It's just, it's my, I think it's passion that drives me really. And the gift is, is just the emotion that I'm, I'm able to, to give off to other people. You know, I, I love I love being able to to emotionally, you know, impact people, I guess. Mm-hmm. Audience, friends, family, whatever it is. Um, that's, that's, I mean, what drives me, really. Well, now, Mothers and Daughters is, without a doubt, the biggest role of your career to date, correct? Yes, definitely. <laughs> how, did, how did this come to you? Did you have to fight for it? Did it fall into your lap? Because you, um, Stephanie, you it, really are the story of, you are, you're the story of the dream. Your, your journey and what you've gone on, this is, this is the dream that people have, and you're actually seeing it come to life. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it, 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 I would say it definitely did kind of, it was another, um, you know, fate kind of thing. It, it kind of fell into my lap, actually. One of the producers, Amy Williams, um, I've known her for a while, and she's been a really a really good friend of mine. And I was living in Miami. I went to school out there at, um, to FIU, the university, and she 
she called me one day and she was like, you know, I have this project. I'm producing this really big movie. Um, Susan Sarandon's in it. Sharon Stone's in it. You know, all the Christina Ricci's in it. Um, and she's like, you know, I want to talk to you about it. So right when school ended, I came back out to L.A. and it kind of just it happened after that. You know, it was just kind of the reality after that. Now, because because your character, Trish, you're not playing against anybody. You've got, well, you do have a couple scenes where you're opposite somebody, but the bulk of it is you're on the phone, you're by yourself. Did you have to audition? What is that kind of process like for you? Um, I mean, it's it was more of like, I guess, I don't know if it was like, I knew Amy and it was my reel, so I kind of went in and I was kind of given the role. Mm-hmm. And with those scenes, I mean, the way the movie is, um, it was kind of like no one really worked opposite each other, except for those scenes that you really saw people, right. like, with each other. Um, and they did it for the purpose of time, and they also did it for the purpose of they wanted, you know, they wanted it to be real and raw. It's a small little indie film. It does have, you know, some of the biggest A-listers in Hollywood, but it's a, it's an indie film, you know, it's an independent film, and... They wanted it to be raw. And, they, and, and, you know, 2016, we're all video chatting these days. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all over the world. We're FaceTiming. We're Skyping. So that's kind of how they wanted to make it. Um, so, so, yeah. So, I mean, it was definitely a challenge to work opposite, like, nobody <laughs> in a green screen. But, um, you know, we made it work. I was, I was on set with a lot of the actors, though. I was on set with um, Alexandra Daniels. Mm-hmm. I was on set with Salma Blair. I was on set with Sharon Stone. Um, but I never actually obviously got to sit down and like do a scene with them. Mm-hmm. But just being in their presence, I mean, it was, I learned so much from them. So now when you're, because there are, you know, back in the day, and since it is, you know, National Classic Movie Day, I can, I could talk about back in the day, long before you were even born, you know, actors would just be on set and they would stay on set and watch their their colleagues and their co-stars working. Was that, mm-hmm. was that something that you got to do on the days that you were there when Sharon was on set and all, and you actually got to watch these other people work? Oh yeah, absolutely. I was, I was there for a lot. Um, most of the, the actors, I wouldn't say all of them. Susan Sarandon shot hers before I got on the project. So unfortunately I didn't get to meet her, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I, I got to see Sharon both. Um, both days, and I got to see Salma work. Um, I got to see Christina and Courtney Wall uh, work. Sorry, and um, so yeah. I mean, it was it was such a gift to me to get to see them work. It was so, you know, it was just so impactful getting to see Sharon. It was like a genius at work. Mm-hmm. You know, Sharon just walked in there and she knew exactly what was about to happen. You know, what was about to go down. She knew everything there is to know to be on set so it was was really a gift to see that how and you know watching them was there anything that you kind of picked up in in acting demeanor and approaching a character that you can take with you you know to your next project um from uh from this project that, that i saw on set yeah um yeah i'd say i mean just watching you know, watching the way that they that they approached their characters, they they went in there, they knew 
the objective of their character. They knew, you know, what that character wanted. They knew who they were mm-hmm. as that character, and they kind of just let it flow from there. So that definitely helped me, um, and I got to take away that, just knowing who your character really is, and the rest will come. Mm-hmm. Now, what about working with, you, you guys had a male director for this project. Yes. We did. Now, I find that very interesting because the script as a whole and the way the film is, is edited, the way it's shot, it, it you get a very female-driven sensibility about it. So I found I was surprised to know that Paul, you know, directed this. Did that come as a surprise to you? What was his directing style like with you in particular? Um, it, he, he, you know, it was written by a woman Mm -hmm. and the producers were all mostly women. So it, you know, it was, it had a a very big, like, you know, women driven thing going for it. And then Paul was like, he was a little cherry on top. So he gave his male insight. And with me, he just, he kind of let, he kind of let the actors do what they felt they were going to do. And then if, if he saw something little that needed to be tweaked, he would come in and, and, you know, very nurturing. He would come in, he would, um, he would kind of adjust it a mm-hmm. little bit, but for the most part, he gave us the freedom to kind of do what we, what we were going to do as women, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, something that I love about your performance is you actually do give, you get the chance to give us a range of emotion. Yes. With, you know, with Trisha. Um, for, we see you all feisty. You know, tell people, you know, who Trisha is, what her character is about, without giving away spoilers. Um, okay, so yeah, so Trisha, she is a very complex person. I think a lot of people are going to see her as the troublemaker. That's definitely how Sharon's character, Nina, made her out to be. She smokes pot, you know, she... um She's a troublemaker a little bit. Such a bad influence you are. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, the, um, I mean, the, the audience is, is going to see a very wide kind of like story about her. They're going to, I don't even know how to say it without giving away. Um, Trisha's got a great journey. Yeah. She has a great journey. It's it's not a happy, it's not a happy journey, but happiness and joy come from Trisha's journey for other characters. Right. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she, yeah, you know, she's, people will definitely see she redeems herself and she's not who everyone thinks she is. Now, because Trisha is, it's a very interesting character. It's a, it's the emotional complexity, especially in the final scenes the initial scenes are fun and you're feisty and you're kick-ass. But then later in the film, when we revisit Trisha again, Trisha's not in the best shape. Um, She's not. No. You know, how do you emotionally prepare for something like that? Because it is an extremely, it, it's an extremely emotionally heavy scene. Um, I personally watched a lot of videos on it. Um, I mean, I, I watched, I, I, you know, the way I prepare for emotional uh, scenes, it depends on the scene, but I'll watch videos. Um, I'll, you know, get into a, I build my character and I'll, and I'll build things that could happen to her when she was younger 
mm-hmm. to kind of bring that emotion. You know, that's what I was always taught um, at my studio to just, you build memories and it's kind of a weird thing your brain does and it kind of ca- like latches on to those memories and makes them real and it, it makes them your own. And I just kind of not really go into a dark place, but on set I'll, I'll be in my trailer and I'll, and I'll just sit there and just, think of those memories that I created for my character and it just kind of it goes after that once mm-hmm. you're on once you're in front of the camera you know now how much did because there is a costume for your character it, it may be everyday clothes but there is a costume and then makeup especially in the latter part of your performance does that uh-huh. does that help you help inform the performance for you Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, when you when you see yourself in certain makeup and certain clothing, um, that can be emotional for you that that you don't normally see yourself, and it definitely it definitely makes those fake memories that you created become even more real than they ever were. So, what what did you think about yourself when you saw yourself in makeup for one of those final scenes that you had? Oh, it was. It was scary. I didn't even want to look at myself in the mirror. It was, it was so scary. It was something that was like, Oh my God, like, you know, people have to actually go through this. I mean, it's, it's a scary thing. I have to say just the difference in, in your appearance from the beginning of the film to the latter, to the third act of the film, I was blown away. And then looking at pictures, red carpet pictures of you and other headshots of you, it's like, Oh my God. Yeah, the makeup artist was amazing, to say the least. Oh, definitely. yeah. The, the makeup... Who was your makeup artist for this one? Do you know? Uh, yeah, her name... The one that did the makeup you're talking about at the end yeah. was... Um, her name was Desiree Falcon. She's amazing. She's incredible. Um, and then uh, the one that did the makeup throughout the movie, her name was Angie Peake. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were both just incredible makeup artists. Oh, well, I, I, I've got to say, I mean, t- for what you look like... You know, in, in the third act of the film, uh, just amazing, amazing transformation. Yeah, it was it was a scary transformation, but it was definitely amazing how how you can go from that to that so quickly, and it really does happen in real life. So, but you know, and I hope you're going to include that particular scene in in your reel from now on. Oh yeah, I definitely will. They actually cut that scene short. You know, that scene was supposed to be longer. Um, it kind of happened so quickly, but. Yeah, it was definitely, I think, impactful. Mm-hmm. Now, did you get a chance to read the entire script? Because I know sometimes actors just read their part or only given their part, and other times they'll read the entire script. Did you get to read the whole script? Yeah, I read the whole script a couple times only for the, for the reason being, like, I wanted to know exactly how the whole story panned out just for the sake of my role. Mm-hmm. Um, because there were a lot of scenes that I wasn't in that, Sharon's character was talking about me, you know, a lot of scenes, and I wanted to, kind of the way that I um, construct my character, I need to know, like, why why she's saying those things about me, what she's saying about me, mm-hmm. so I can know, you know, how I'm going to play that, and, and why I am that, you know, to her, anyways. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first thing that you thought of when you read this whole script? The first thing that I thought of? What's the first, yeah, the first thing you thought of when you read this script? Um, I definitely thought about my mom, (laughs) for sure. Um, I thought, you know, I'm, wow, I'm doing a 
film like this. How ironic, because I'm so close with my mom. Mm-hmm. And and I can't believe the way um, my character pans out at the end, basically. Did you take your mom to the premiere with you? No, unfortunately I didn't because she was in Miami. So it was also um, a holiday that we celebrate, um, so she couldn't fly down. Okay, that is just that's just unacceptable. This fa- I know this fantastic <laughs> though, like three times that weekend. Only three? I know. I, I guarantee. I, I think she's only admitting to three. Stephanie, because <laughs> she went to each one of her family members' houses and like ordered it on video on demand at all their houses and just watched it a bunch of times. Whoa. And she texted me. She's like, "I'm watching it again." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that yeah, I mean, funny. that's great. That's fabulous. You know, how happy does it make you to hear praise like that and and support like that from your mom? Oh, you know, it means means everything to me. Um, She's definitely been the person that I've been closest to my whole life. Mm -hmm. So to get that support from her and for her to text me, you know, at midnight (laughs) her time telling me, oh, my God, um, you did so great. I'm so proud of you. It was it was it meant everything to me. Uh, well, I mean, you did do an amazing job in the film, Stephanie. So now, thank you so much. So now, where where does Stephanie go from here? What do we have? In I, the, what do we have in the pipeline? Anything coming up? Oh yeah, I'm working on a few films actually. Um, I'm in pre production for a sci fi that I will be going into production. I believe in July. It's called The Role Model. Mm-hmm. And um, I will also be going into production, hopefully later in the summer, for a new horror film that all the horror fanatics will be excited about. It's um, coming from the writer Victor Miller, the one who wrote all the Friday the 13th movies. Uh, okay, and now you just have Brian, Brian sitting in the booth here, and his head's bobbing up and down. He's got a big smile on his face the minute you said Victor Miller. So. Uh, okay, yeah, there you go. Perfect. Um, yes, so Victor Miller is the writer of all the Friday the 13th movies, and mm-hmm. he's incredible. So he wrote this movie. It's called Rock, Paper, Dead. And um, it will be, I think, coming out early 2017, I believe. I'm not sure yet. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's just going to be another bloodbath. It's 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 a... It's definitely going to, you know, it's going to be like the other ones. It's a trilogy, so there's going to be three of them. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know. That's got to be exciting. Oh, yeah. I'm so, I mean, when I heard his name, I was like, holy, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm, I was like, because, you know, my, um, my boyfriend and his mom are just horror film fanatics. They've seen every horror film you can ever think of, like, from back in, like, the 70s, whatever movies they've seen it seen it all so when i said their name they were like no way oh my god So i'm i'm so excited i'm like honored to be a part of this project okay well see now you have to start planning now since your boyfriend and his mom are horror fans they're gonna be they're gonna be (laughs) fighting over who gets to go to the premiere with you oh yeah i mean hopefully i can take a few people because they're you know, rip each other's heads off if i take one over that (laughs) yeah Yeah. well you know if you gotta choose I might take his mom. Uh, that's honestly, what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you really want the mom to be happy. Yeah, exactly. You know, and also she's been, she grew him up on these films. So I got, you know, I, I, yeah. Take her. I, yeah. I, I think she would be the choice. Now, are you trying to stick to film now or are you looking at television or stage? 
mixing um, it up? I, I mean, definitely film. I love film. TV, I, I would love to be a series regular on a show. I mean, it's, you know, it's steady work. It's, <clears throat> I love, I watch so many shows, so I would love to be on a show. That's actually one of my dreams over film. But, I, I mean, either or, you know, I'm blessed to have any, but definitely both of them. I mean, I'm stage, not so much. I've never been into stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I could get on a TV show, that would be incredible. So now until you start filming in July, what is your, are you, are you going out on auditions? Or are you just in getting into the mindset for pre-production? Um, yeah, I'm, so I'm taking some, uh, well, I go to Warner Laughlin Studios in Hollywood, so I take classes there, um, just to, you know, keep in the flow of things when I'm not working, mm-hmm. and I'm taking some improv and some commercial classes over summer, um, and I'm definitely, I've, I have, like, a couple of scripts to read, because I have another movie, um, it's called Fourth of July Family Reunion, mm-hmm. it's like a big, uh, it's a dramedy, um, big, like, family reunion movie, um, so I'm just reading scripts. I'm, I'm planning out some stuff for the characters. But other than that, yeah, I'm just taking some classes and, and you know, meetings and stuff like that. Well, Stephanie, I am so glad that you could, that you could join me here today on Behind the Lens. You are an absolute delight. Thank you so much. And I just, I, as I said, I thoroughly enjoyed, loved your performance. Yes, you made me cry. In mothers and daughters, you (laughs) you know, the arc of your character. Yes, it had me wiping tears both times I saw the film. So (laughs) thank you. so much. And I really I hope that when you get some more other projects as you start working on more, I, I hope you'll come back on the show. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, Stephanie, an absolute joy. So for now, everybody can see you in mothers and daughters. It is playing everywhere on VOD. And in the and still in some theaters. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Have a good day. And that was the delightful Stephanie Shami. Um, she's a joy. And the movie Mothers and Daughters. We've, we're seeing a lot of mother and daughter films lately. You know, we uh, Gail Kirschenbaum with her documentary, Look at Us Now, Mother. Uh, Gail was a guest here on the show, and her documentary is fabulous. We've got this film, Mothers and Daughters, out there. Um, mothers and daughters are finally being looked at in 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 great close contextual uh, with a great. I can't even talk today with a great contextual lens. So be on the lookout. Uh, Look at us now. Mother is also available on uh, pay per view on VOD, on some of the uh, the Hulu, Amazon, Netflix. Uh, but then Mothers and Daughters with Susan Sarandon, with Selma Blair, with Sharon Stone, and with Stephanie Shami. See it. We're going to take another quick break and then come back and talk about Maggie's plan. Located in the heart of Screenland... Culver City Observer is the number one newspaper in Culver City, covering local news, politics, and community events, with sports by Mitch Chortkoff and movie reviews by Debbie Lynn Elias, Culver City Observer is the place to go to be in the know. 
When you think Culver City and the heart of Screenland, think Culver City Observer. When you think movies and movie reviews, think Culver City Observer. Culver City Observer, a division of Arizona Newspaper Group, is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. Hey, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers for Rad. I'm here to remind you that drunk drivers are still a major killer of young adults in this country. So always choose a designated driver. And remember, music lives, you should too. Getting on in the state of Mississippi. Papa was a copper and a mama was a hippie. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, Rad, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. One, two, three. I dialed your number a hundred times. Thought I could sleep you off my mind. You were there the next morning with the sunrise. Three cups of coffee and the news A bad case of California blues Maybe in another hour or two Cause it's still early there Welcome back. And that little musical interlude there was courtesy of our good friends, L.A. River. Uh, be on the look at LARiverMusic.com. Uh, be on the lookout and listen for them. The new album will be out later this summer. They will be back here on Behind the Lens. And, yes, there will probably be a song that, that Nick Crawl is writing about Brian. Hey, he's back there grinning again. Today is, is, is a grinning Brian day. So, but right now we're going to shift. We're going to shift gears a little. We're going to talk about movie opening this week, this Friday, and limited and going wider after that. Maggie's Plan, starting Greta, starring Greta Gerwig. Uh, Rebecca Miller is the director. Uh, many of you may know Rebecca from her work, uh, the movie Pippa Lee. Um, but I had a chance to, to talk with the cinematographer Sam Levy. Sam Levy is a longtime fave cinematographer of mine. Uh, he is known for his work on indie films, um, notably working with Noah Baumbach, uh, and for lensing Greta Gerwig. You may recognize some of Sam's work from films like Mistress America, Francis Ha, While We Were Young with Ben Stiller and Naomi Watts, The Romantics with Katie Holmes and Josh Demel, the film Wendy and Lucy, a true indie favorite uh, that swept the fest circuit by storm uh, with awards. But, and Sam just doesn't do film. Sam is also a 
brand new Emmy nominee for Best Sports Documentary for the ESPN short film Unhittable, uh, which is a fabulous, fabulous uh, sports doc if you, if you get a chance to take a look at it. But I talked to Sam about Maggie's plan. For whatever reason, Sam is very adept and is, really knows how to lens New York. And Maggie's plan takes place in New York. Greta Gerwig is, of course, Maggie. And she has a plan for her life. She's going to have a baby with a guy, X amount of time. Everything is road mapped out. But as we all know, the best laid plans of mice and men tend to go awry. So, but during the execution of Maggie's plan and the trials and tribulations of life, we're going through the seasons. We're not just going through the seasons. We're going, we're taking a look at several couples mix and match, all with different purposes and different personas within the film. Um, this is something that, that Sam is particularly adept at, and you'll hear him talk about achieving a lot of, of the look that he has thanks to the training that he got with the legendary Harris Savides. Uh, so I had a chance to ask him, first of all, about you know lighting and lensing, New York with this beautiful palette in view of the film and the story unfolding over the course of time. You have a gift for lighting and lensing New York with a palette that is, it's just stunning, stunning. We, we feel the change of seasons. We feel the crispness of the snow and the cold. How, what is your approach and especially with this film that does unfold over, you know, the course of time. Well, um, you know, for this for this project, for Maggie's plan, um, you know, everything started with, you know, Rebecca reached out to me and uh, we sat and had coffee and started to have conversations about about what this project is, what it should look like, what it should feel like. And one of the first things that she told me was that she wanted it to have, she wanted to look awake was the word she used. Mm -hmm. The feeling of being awake, which I thought was a wonderful word to describe how you'd like something to look. Because it's, it's kind of an emotional word. It's not like, I want it to look like a specific color or I want it to look, you know, bright or dark, or... So, but I intuitively understood what she was talking about. Um, so, you know, the challenge for the project was to find out specifically what being awake means when you translate it into something photographic. Mm -hmm. Photographic in a movie over the course of 90 minutes that shifts and changes with an ensemble cast and how to utilize, you know, the tools, the camera, the lenses, the lighting, the color palette, how to, how to utilize those to find a very particular hue, to find, you know, you know, what, finding, you know, the shimmer and the glow in the image so that you can give this kind of awake feeling, but in such a way where 
I could have control, so I could, you know, apply it selectively to, you know, different parts of the movie, mm-hmm. and to be able to modulate, and, um, you know, uh, the feeling of being awake can, you know, can apply to the light, but also very much to the color, which is mm-hmm. very instrumental in this project, was finding colors that were rich, but rich in the, in the right kind of way, kind of mm-hmm. way that I, I felt comfortable with, just not, not, not too bright, not too dim, not too overpowering. Mm-hmm. Key to, you know, feeling awake is that it fused with the entire, with the entire movie, with, with, with the narrative, with the performances, that never stands out. Mm-hmm. It feel it should feel effortless. It's not effortless by any means. It should just it should feel that way. You shouldn't be thinking about it. You might think, you know, you should never even think this looks great. I mean, maybe maybe you do, and that's that's okay. But you shouldn't think about it for too long, or for you know, too much, or for too long, because that might take you out of this world of, uh, you know, which is in this case of Maggie's plan, uh, what I loved about working with Rebecca is her willingness for the narrative to have this kind of metaphysical quality to it. It wasn't just your everyday reality. Mm-hmm. Wanted to have the feeling of reality but with what she called a metaphysical overlay. That's her word, a metaphysical yes. overlay. Okay, great. I, I love that. Now, what does that mean for me? <laughs> Good question. So what, was, what I love about working with her is that she, was, she gave me as much time with her as I wanted, and we just went through piece by piece <clears throat> and broke down the, the script many times over. Um, we started meeting about six months before we started shooting and um, you know it just it took a lot of work and a lot of preparation to figure that out and at the end of the day the goal was to infuse the photography with that feeling but it's all you know like just using again using like the technical tools available to to create that. You know, and part of the technical tools that Sam used were Zeiss uh, Super Speed Prime lenses, uh, the same ones that he used on While We Were Young. And it's those very lenses that also go into helping him create a synergy yet a, a distinction between the different worlds that we see unfolding here. And he talked about that with me. Uh, and by the way, the noise you hear in the background, he is on location. He was on location in New York, actually taking a break from shooting uh, when we did this interview. So, but here's more of what Sam had to say about Maggie's plan. Well, something that that you did that I that I find particularly appealing is we have three distinct couplings, so to speak. We've got Felicia and Tony, and you, you're lighting them with more of a golden tone in their house. It's it's the ideal home. You've got um, Maggie and John, and that one has more of 
more of the the greens, the the quirkiness, but a, a beautiful lighting tone to it. And then you've got the white on white with Georgette and John, yet everything fits. It all melds seamlessly. Oh, I'm glad you think so, Debbie. <laughs> Was it difficult to get that synergy and maintain the distinction of these three different groupings of lives? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, you know, it's difficult in the sense that it took a lot of preparation mm -hmm. to just get to a place of feeling ready. Um, but it wasn't difficult to conceive of something, you know, the straightforward kind of concept of, okay, there's three different couples. Let's have, let's have the, you know, just take the spaces. If you take, uh, and you can get, take one further. Okay, so Maggie has her own apartment at the beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. Then she moves in with John, with Ethan Hawke's character, and they have their own loft. Pr prior to that happening, uh, Ethan Hawke and Julianne Moore have their own uh, kind of grand apartment. And then Julianne Moore lives there by herself after they split up. So, you know, that apartment changed the decor and the ceiling of that apartment changes after he leaves and then mm -hmm. she redecorates. Um, then there's Felicia and Tony's place, which kind of, you know, stays the same. We see it at night and we see it in the daytime. So there's that. So how do these all fuse together? Um, you know, the, the um, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, it, it's uh, just really taking a close look at the scenes and seeing how they intercut with each other. Mm -hmm. Or you know, when you're prepping, there's nothing photographed yet to see how it cuts together. But it's the, the critical element is anticipating how these scenes might cut together. So I try to remove myself from the photography of the thing, you know, the lighting, the, the technical side of the photography, and just look right now at at the scenes and the tempo, uh, the, the dialogue, and then just the physical action in and around the dialogue, and how these are going to flow together, and. You know, um, we just take a really close look at that, and you know, part of that is creating a shot list, and you know, the shot list even before we have any locations gives us a sense of tempo mm -hmm. and uh, how these spaces can tie together before we've made any specific decisions about decor, and then that's basically like the foundation upon which we build, upon which we start to talk about our palette and colors and things like, you know, like Georgette's apartment, for example, okay. needed to be, it was probably the trickiest because it had to be the right anthropology. She's a, uh, she's an academic. They don't have, they don't have 
you know, these are not wealthy people, but they're very sophisticated people. Mm-hmm. And it needs to look sophisticated. It needs to look sophisticated in the correct way. They don't live in a mansion. They can't afford, you know, they, they don't have, uh, uh, you know, like a couch, carpet, decor that costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yet it needs to be sophisticated. How do we do that? Um, um, you know, one of the challenging things about Maggie's plan was, you know, we, we, we had a shoestring budget, which meant for our production that we couldn't just overhaul every location exactly how we wanted. We had to be selective. <laughs> you know, we had to be, you know, for Georgette's apartment, we knew we wanted to paint the walls, but we couldn't just paint every single wall. We had to be very decisive about what we were going to see and what we were not going to see. In that sense, the approach to me was very old school, the way, you know, the way I was trained when I worked under Paris DeVita, you know, like to be very decisive and to commit. Um, so that, and you know, that's definitely that's challenging to, mm-hmm. to commit with purposely uh, and to give yourself over to that decision to trust your to, to trust your instincts about what to see and what not to see, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and I mean I've had absolute trust in Rebecca, and I think she did with me at least. You know, she very much felt trusted, and so we just went down the road together. And you'll see that road that they went down come this Friday when Maggie's Plan opens in theaters. Uh, Greta Gerwig, Ethan Hawke, Julianne Moore. Uh, fun film, interesting film, extremely well done film, directed by Rebecca Miller. Go see it. You will not be sorry. And that is all the time that we have today. But we'll be back here again next week. And... Joining us next week live will be direct, documentary, documentary director Soren Sorensen, who's going to talk about My Father's Vietnam, very timely as we're approaching Memorial Day. So until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Mm-hmm.